0: As you're being seated, uh, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians, the first 10 verses of the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. This passage is one that John Stott writes the following. Against the somber background of the world today, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 stands out in striking relevance. Paul first plums the depths of pessimism about men, then rises to the heights of optimism about God. It is this combination of pessimism and optimism, of despair and faith, which constitutes the refreshing realism of the Bible. For what Paul does in this passage is to paint a vivid contrast between what man by nature is and what man by grace may become. So in a day of filters and fixes, where all we want to do is make everything look right and pristine from the outside and never adjust the inside, Paul gives us a crystal clear view in this passage of who we are, of who God is, and what that means for our lives. You see, we're going to see in this passage the character of man contrasted with the character of God drawing us to the character of salvation. Stand with me as we read the Word of God together. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved through faith, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of results, not of result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God add His blessing to the reading and the hearing of His word. You may be seated. You see, when we come to this text, we need to understand that Paul, the apostle, is writing to the church at Ephesus. And in the church at Ephesus, he is writing, as he says in verse 1 of chapter 1, "...to the saints who are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus." He's writing first and foremost to the saints at the church of Ephesus and then to those who are faithful in God who will hear the reading of this word later on. So church that has gathered on this Sunday morning, those who have come to know Christ through faith in him, by grace alone, as we will continue to discuss, this letter is Is for you. These words were written directly to us. Because he goes on in chapter 4 and 5 in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, he's talking to those who God has brought to himself, who he has given the power and the ability to become children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice on the cross, the ones that he has drawn unto himself. He is proclaiming this truth to. So when he comes to chapter 2 and he begins to lay out a crystal clear character of man and give us the most realistic picture that we could ever imagine of who we are before Christ came into our life, we need to realize that when he says that, that you once were as all men are, that the saints of God have been set apart. The saints of God have been called by God to become children of God and he has moved them in righteousness and he has stirred them away from their sin and he has called them to set themselves apart and to live a holy life as he is holy. And that is the only expectation that God has placed upon our life, to be holy for I am holy. It does not get any less than that. What I would tell you as you re- we read through these is what we're ultimately going to get is a crystal clear picture of the gospel. And the gospel ultimately begins with where we really were before we came to know God. Or for many of you hearing my voice today, where you are right now in a relationship not knowing the one true sovereign God of the universe through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Notice the once because he's speaking to the church, following the course of this world, following in the prince and the power there, the spirit that is working, the sons of disobedience. In other words, all of those who God has given over and turned over to disobedience, all of those who are living a life of complete rebellion against the son of God, This is who you once were. I pray that even as God works in our hearts and in our lives to draw us deeper and deeper into that relationship, that we never forget who we once were because as we look out at the world around us and we are so quick and it's so easy to condemn them for the sinful nature and the sinful acts that they are partaking in, must also look in the mirror and agree with the Apostle Paul, that was once us. Except for the grace of God, there go I, is ne- has never been a truer statement then when we look out and we want to condemn the rest of the world for all of their sinful actions, for following after the prince of the air, for following after their own lusts of the flesh, for following after all of the things that, that their mind and their body can find to be depraved. We want to look out and say something about them. But before you do, remember that was once us. And I also understand that as we sit here today, that that might be some of you hearing my voice right now. Some of you might be living a life that is following after the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, those that are in rebellion to God. You may be running after the lust of your own flesh and the lust of your own mind, pursuing what is right in your own eyes with everything that you have. And if that is you today, my prayer for you is that God will use these words to reveal to you the beauty and the awesomeness and the glory and the splendor of his grace which leads us to salvation which draws us to becoming children of the most high God I pray that you would see the true character of man in your own life and run to God. Because as Wingley once said, for when man through repentance has come to the knowledge of himself, he finds nothing but utter despair. Hence, wholly distrusting himself. You know, the The world, the prince of the power of the air, the one who has sway and control over this world would tell you that your heart is a good thing and to run after your heart and to follow your heart and whatever you see fit to do is right to do and that is going to draw you into wherever you need to be. Just keep doing what feels good, what sounds good, what makes you happy and excited what Paul is saying is that those who are in that situation are like the rest of us were children of wrath destined for the hand of God to pour out the wrath of God in due time that we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, that we were dead and buried and there's nothing that we could do about anything save God intervene in the situation because dead men and dead women can't do anything to restore and resolve the situation that they find themselves in themselves. They are completely and totally dependent upon someone else and that someone that we are dependent upon is God himself. You see, it's in failure to recognize the gravity of the human condition, which explains the naive faith and superficial remedies that we put forward. Because when we don't start here with an understanding of who man is, we don't fully understand what's needed in the grace and the gospel of God. If we don't have a clear picture of our sin and the depravity in which we rest and we have resided, then we mistake what can make us well. We weren't sick and needed a tablet. We weren't not feeling good and needed some rest. We were dead and we needed life to be breathed into us. And the only one who could was the son of God. And so as we come to this setting and we see with a clear vision The depravity of man, the wickedness of man, the longing of our hearts which ruled everything, including what used to rule you and me. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's that same thing that Paul speaks about in Romans when he says, I I do what I don't want to do. My flesh is very weak. It is only in the weakness that God can be made whole, working in us. It is me who is depraved in desperate need of a Savior. And as we see our true character, what begins to be revealed to us is the character of an almighty God. Because as we move into verse four, he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, stated another way in another passage, when we were enemies of God. When we were in rebellion, in the throes of rebellion, when we were standing toe to toe with God, with our fists raised and our voices raised, looking at him, understanding that we were in rebellion to him at that moment when we were dead, buried by our sins and our trespasses, held captive by our own lust and own desires, held captive by the power and the prince of the air, held captive by the things that we ultimately wanted ourselves. But God. doesn't get much better than that. But God being rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, God still loved us. Now, that's a great picture of the character of God standing there. If you go back to even to our our call to worship, what does it say? It says the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. That's who God is. He's standing there knowing that we deserve nothing but to be left in the miserable, desperate state that we are in. But yet he loves us. And the love he has for us causes him to take action. It causes him to move forward. And he does something great and magnificent and marvelous. And even as Paul writes it, he gets excited because if you look here in verse 5, he says, made us alive with Christ. And then all of a sudden there's this interjection of by grace you have been saved. It's like Paul gets so excited explaining what God has done and the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of salvation and the graciousness and the love of God that he gets so excited he just has to stop right in the middle and say, by grace you have been saved. He's going to do the same thing again in just a minute. He says he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. He brought dead people back to life. And not only did he just simply bring them to life, pull them out of the grave and set them on the side, hoping they would not fall back in. He brings us to life with Christ Jesus. With His son. He makes us alive and brings us those who were dead in our trespasses, running after the lust of our flesh and the lust of our hearts and the lust of our minds. Enemies of God, he takes those dead, makes them alive, brings them into his family and calls them sons and daughters of God. What a miraculous loving event that was. He made us alive together. And then he raised us up with him. You notice what he's doing? He's pointing us back to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was dead. God raised him from the dead and brought him to life. And then brought him into the kingdom of God. And, And the beauty of it is that's not all. That's not it. That's not everything. You see, when we begin to talk about salvation and we begin to talk about God's working, we begin to talk about what God has done and what he is doing. Zwingli would tell us that to ascribe the works of sanctification, to ascribe to works what you and I have done to ascribe to works, sanctification. What Christ has done is to condemn God. We take credit for the sanctification and the work of an almighty God because we did something. We condemn the very God we are claiming for our salvation. We did not do anything. And he reminds them right here in this outburst, by grace you have been saved. And since Christ is our righteousness, our works are only good, only in so far as uh, they are of Christ. So he made us alive. He's brought us into his family and then he moves forward because Christ didn't stay here he spent some time with his disciples he taught them and he guided them and he led them and he he spent enough time with them to show them the things that they needed to know from him before he was to ascended up to the father and so we see Christ coming from death burial resurrection and now to ascension and what he says is that I have made you so complete in Christ. I've raised you from the dead. I've brought you into my family. And then what does he say in the text? He says, and raised you up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Just as Christ has come and ascended to the right hand of the Father and taken his seat, the word of God says, you and I who know him as Lord and Savior have joined him. He didn't just save us. He didn't just bring us back to life. But he has brought us into his family and seated us with Christ. Don't gloss over The majesty of this. Don't gloss over the magnitude of this. Don't gloss over the significance of what Paul is saying about us as followers of Christ. The work that must be done in us is complete and it was all done by the grace of God. You see, this is what Zwingli in the Reformation began to understand. He began to understand that as he studied through the Word of God and as he proclaimed the Word of God to those who would faithfully hear the Word, he began to understand that the Christian life as it had been described to him was not the Christian life that Scripture had called them to live. It's what I would say to you today is the false promise of discipleship in the modern church. And you know me, I'm a guy who loves discipleship. But let me tell you it's not you getting up every day and checking off the boxes, it's not what we have said in the past come to church, sit in our pews, give your money. Read your Bible every day. Say a few prayers every day. And all will be well. And you are and will be a great and tremendous disciple of Christ. You see, the problem with that is there's still a lot of dependence upon me, right? There's still a lot of dependence upon me. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that spiritual discipline should be enacted in every one of our lives. But it's out of a desire. It's out of a love. It's understanding that God in his great love for us has done all of these other things. And that is what motivates us to come before an almighty God in prayer. It is that which motivates us to come to the word of God and read and study and be enlightened by the word of God. It is that love which he has for us which motivates us to do everything that we are called to do. Because you see, He seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. That's why he can say that my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he has called us to a place of grace, which is a place of rest. We can stop attempting to earn our salvation. We can stop attempting to earn our place and our marks with God. That has been done and you did not do it. And you never will. It's one of those things that I can't wrap my head around why Protestants today would take part in Lent. Because when you go back and you study the Reformation and you see what God did by bringing his people to a clear understanding that all of these external things were not necessary, did not bring the grace of God into your life, but it was the grace of God by the love of God that was poured out for you that stirred us and moved us. I just can't wrap my mind around why we would want to go back and do the things that we have been so, so beautifully being given our freedom from. You see, it is about grace. And you've, many of you have heard me say this before, and it's a quote from Dallas Willard. And what Dallas says is that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. You see, you can never earn Yourself, You can never earn God's love. You can never earn being brought from death to life. Brought into the family of God and to be seated into the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The direct connection. So that, he says, he continues, in the coming age... Now, if if we thought that was good, and I think that is tremendous, that is a magnificent thing, but oh all of that, all of that was done so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, We haven't seen anything yet. Do you get it? Whatever great good gift salvation is, and it is the greatest and the best and the most wonderful and awe-inspiring gift that we could ever imagine, we have not seen anything yet because it will be immeasurable. It will be a continuation for all eternity of the Heavenly Father pouring out His good, righteous grace on us. that should get us a little bit stirred up. That should get us a little bit excited to know that what we've seen is just a drop, just a taste of the greatness and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God that is to come, oh, onto us. God is not done. He did not bring us back to life for just a few years here. He brought us back to life, put us in his family, seated us in the heavenly places so that he could continually pour out his grace on us. Now, I don't want you to miss what's going on right here. Don't miss the goodness of God in our daily lives right here. But man, when we think about what is to come, the hope that we have in store for us, For those of us who are no longer running after our own desires, for those of us who are no longer following after the power of the air, for those of us who are no longer in total depravity in the world, dead and buried in our own sins and trespasses, we have hope. But let me just tell you, For every one of you who doesn't know Jesus, every one of us who does has sat right where you sit right now. We've known the depths of our depravity. We've known the wickedness of our hearts. We've understood that all we wanted was what was best and what we longed for and what we desired. But at some point, we understood what the love of Christ brought into our lives. At some point, we understood that the grace of God was sufficient to cover every single one of those sins, barring none. I don't care how good or bad you think you are. If you've not accepted the grace of God in your life to bring you from death to life, then you are still dead. Because there is no other way. There is no other hope. Just as God's grace will be poured out on those who have trusted in His Son, Jesus Christ one day those who are children of wrath will experience the opposite of that so as we see the character of man and the character of God oh what a character God has how wonderful it is it clearly demonstrates the character of salvation because you see what Paul reminds us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. For everyone who stands here and sits here alive with Christ. You received a gift from an almighty God. For everyone who sits here this morning. Not in a relationship with Christ. Christ. What I tell you is that he presents you with that same gift. Won't you receive it today? Won't you take hold of the gospel of God as Christ himself has laid it out for you to receive? See, it's not your works. Because if it was of our works, if I could do it on my own, Well, I would boast about it. I would tell everyone how great, grand, and wonderful I was. I would tell everyone what a magnificent job I had done in coming to salvation. But it's done by the grace of God, as a gift of God, so that you and I, number one, because we could not earn our salvation because we could not do enough works to overcome the power of sin in our life because we could not do anything to bring ourselves from death to life because we could not do anything to enter into the family of God because we could not do anything to seat ourselves with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places because we could not do it because it was impossible the grace of God came down. Not of our own works so that we would boast. And as he did, what the character of salvation does is give us a new character. One who can run after and follow after Christ. For we are now his workmanship. We are a new creature. We are the workmanship of Christ created for a purpose to do good works. Remember that Dallas Willard statement? Grace is not a post-effort. As opposed to earning, just because you can't earn it doesn't mean that you don't do good works. Jesus reminds us through Paul that you know what you were created a new creature to do what? No, not sit on your rump, but to do good works. Zwingli would say to us, "You are God's tool. He wills to wear you out by use, and not idleness." Oh, happy man whom he calls to work. Christ has put a calling on our lives. That calling is to faithfully serve him. And as a matter of fact, just as before the beginning of time, he prepared such a great salvation for us, The works which God is calling to us to do and to accomplish and to come alongside of him and allow Christ to work through us. It's those works, those very works that he is calling us to do good works that he has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God being rich in love, being rich in mercy, being a gracious God, graciously pours out salvation on us so that we might receive the gracious gift of God so that we can accomplish the task that He has set before each one of us before. Notice that? Before. Before we came to know Him before we received the gracious gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, before we became alive again in a new life, he had prepared for us good works to do and to accomplish. And if God has given us good works to do, if God has set something out for us to accomplish, then God will give us the ability to accomplish those things. You see, we were once, and that's a good thing to be able to say. I was once dead in my trespasses to sin. But you see, somewhere around eight years old, in a silver bullet travel trailer, parked on the edge of Lake Bridgeport, in Lake Bridgeport, Texas, my father confronted me with the gospel of God. And he showed me the free gift of salvation that God was offering to me. And that little boy who was dead in his trespasses to sin Who is just as wicked as any 40 or 50 year old man that you can ever imagine because I was dead in my trespasses to sin and I was running after my own desires and my own lust and fulfilling everything for me. The grace of God overwhelmed me. And I knelt down beside the bed in the back of that little trailer hot as it might have been outside. I received a gift that day. I received the gift of life. I received the gift of a new family, the family of God. I received the gift of being placed in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. I received the hope that one day he will pour out grace on me that I cannot even imagine. That day, I received Christ. And it was a gracious gift of God. And I have not, and I do not live it out perfectly But I can tell you that today, that gift is the one thing that I cling to no matter what's happening. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, we never get past the gospel of God. We never get past what God has done for us. There are two people sitting out here today, two types. Those are the sons of disobedience, never having tasted the grace of God and the gift of salvation. And those of us who have, for those of us who have, you were created for good works, work in them. Run in them. Serve in them. Allow the grace of God to wash over you so that you can accomplish the task that God has set before you. Don't slow up. Be worn out by usefulness and use and not idleness and sitting on a shelf. Those of you who've never tasted the grace of God, we're going to have an invitation. And as the music plays and we sing, I beg you to come. I beg you to speak with one of our elders. Let them take you into the word of God and show you the grace of God as it is manifested through Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised on the third day and now seated with him the father don't leave here today not knowing the grace of God not having a life that has received a new gift, a new creature, one that is created to do good works. He has something in store for you and I don't care how useless you might feel right now, there is something that God has in store for you. Won't you come and do it today? Don't hesitate and don't wait. Let us pray.